Thanks once again for joining us for episode 18 of Practically Ranching. The last few weeks, we have had a couple of PhDs and a MS and several folks with a lot of letters after their names and a lot of education and, and a lot of knowledge. So I thought it was time to get back a little closer to home and we call this thing Practically Ranching. And today's title for Ryan Arndt's interview is Ranching Practically. And that's exactly what the Arndt family does. Uh, they farm and ranch in several counties to the west of the Emporia and Opie, Kansas areas. And if you've ever sat down and visited with Ryan or his dad, Mike, or any of the family, you realize that the word practical fits them really, really well. Um, there's not a lot of fanfare. There's not a lot of BS. They're going to tell you what they think and what they believe, and then they're going to go do it. And um, I think their family and I think their business shows this. Uh, in this episode, we talk about several different things. There are many different ranching interests and in many segments of the beef industry. We talk about Ryan's work with the Flint Hills Beef Fest, uh, both on the competition side, but also on the volunteer side, serving on their board. Uh, just basic ranching types of issues that I think will hit home for a lot of our folks that are listening to this from a pickup or a saddle or, or as they do their daily work with the, with the cows. Um, I think we can learn a lot from the very simple approach that uh, Ryan and his family takes as they try to decide how best to adapt and how best to make sound business decisions given the knowledge that we have in today's beef industry and uh, the basics of, of what we have to work with at home. And in this episode, Ryan jokes about sponsorship and trying to promote things such as this podcast so he can get a few more lessons than his uh, lifelong buddy, Glenn Collins, who has done very well from his podcast a month or two ago. Um, and I joked and said that folks' favorite thing about practically ranching is they don't have to fast forward through any advertisements. Well, I'm going to break that. We're not going to have anything too fancy, but I do want to remind folks that we are having a bull sale come up. Our family, Dale Banks Angus, annual bull sale will be on November the 19th. We'll be selling about 130 coming two-year-old and yearling bulls. And we would love to have you at the sale or watching online. And if you would like information about the bulls we'll be selling, uh, drop us a line. Uh, our email and, and information is there at dalebanks.com or give us a call at 620-583-4305. And we would love to add you to our list and send you a catalog with information about those bulls. So now that we've got that out of the way, thanks again for listening to Practically Ranching. Welcome, Ryan, to Practically Ranching. Appreciate you Take a little time this afternoon. Tell me where you're at today. Uh, I am eastern edge of Chase County, out in the pasture checking some fall calving cows right now. The signal is uh, better than the last time we tried this, I think, so you must be a, at a higher elevation or something. I'm high, and I'm, I'm not too far from the turnpike, so I suppose there's pretty good coverage all the way along here. Yep, well, that's the... Uh, I guess the benefit of being by a major interstate, if if there is a benefit, uh, you at least might get cell phone service when you're close to the to the four lane. 
Well, Ryan, this is take two of your podcast. And the first one was supposed to be with Glenn Collins. And I think it's safe to say that we failed miserably on that one. It's it's my first and only complete flop on Practically Ranching, at least in the recording side of things. Um, so we had to split you two up. I think uh, it was clear the internet couldn't handle that much comic relief in one setting. So um, we had Colin John already, and you get the last word and get to refute any and everything that he said on there. Um, so feel free to uh, correct any statements that were misspoken by uh, by your buddy Glenn Collins. Oh, I didn't know Glenn had one air already. <laughs> Clearly, very few people did. We won't. Uh, we won't even divulge where he sits on the all-time rankings of practical. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he did a good job. You get him talking about fire and grass and anything else, he's always going to do a good job of talking about that. But I did tell him that it was funny when he gets serious, and the older he gets, he sounds more like a Mike Junior. I thought Just, the same thing. Yeah, uh, and I suppose we're all guilty of that. Sounded more like our dads the older we get. But I listening to that, I thought, well, he just sounds like Mike. More yep. Well, you clearly understand genetics from all of your work in the cattle and horse business. Um, it, it works for humans, too. Yes, it does. It, it, it sure does. Yep, yep. Well, um, the first thing you've got to do is make sure that uh, somehow, some way, you record more downloads than Glenn so you can... Uh, Shut him up about his bragging on that on that front. <laughs> we'll do we'll do what we have to do to make sure we get that done for you. Sponsored ads and whatnot on the Facebook yeah. and Twitter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, I haven't tried those yet, but I'm. Uh, I guess. Uh, I guess if it's worth it to you, uh... <laughs> I'll leave it up to you. So first off, while it's fresh on my mind, congrats on your. Uh, you're you're quite the cattle showman here, and a little different type than uh, than what would be at the county fair. But you have had fairly high ranking pens of cattle or individuals at both what Beef Empire Days out in Garden City, and also at the Flint Hills Beef Fest here in Emporia a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, um, you know this year we got along. Dad and Steve got along pretty good there at the Beef Fest. Had a nice set of heifers and. They did uh, gain well, and they showed well. The judges liked them, and it's that good uh, Dell Bakes genetics, I guess, showing up there. there. You go. Maybe I maybe I am having ads on here and didn't even yeah. realize it. <laughs> but How you is... know, it uh, like you were talking about genetics. Um, I picked those beef fest cattle out when we wean every fall, and it's getting harder because they're getting. I can only have a handful of ones that will be small enough or light enough and not get too big when it's time to land them in in April. But uh, I kind of know what I'm picking and go from there. The heifers some years might just be whichever ones don't pass the uh, pelvic exam, breeding sinus exam, before we set them up to AI in the spring too. So the, the genetics are there. It's just a matter of hitting, getting the right weight and target for weighing them in in August or in April, I mean. Tell for folks who aren't necessarily from this area, um, explain how that beef fest, uh, cattle futurity works. Cause it's a pretty cool concept. It is. Um, so in April you enter three pins or three head pin of cattle, either steers or heifers. And we graze them out here on the Highland ranch, Southwest Opie. 
and we'll we'll weigh them in that Monday, whichever usually about the last Monday of April. Get an in weight, turn them out, gather them back up in August, and then we'll weigh them off grass again. And so that's one contest is your grass cane. And we leave them in those pens of three, and the judges come around, and they judge them based off of feeder cattle qualities that they'd like for cattle going in the feed yard. And then they go to the feed yard, and we use our off-grass weight as a starting weight for the feed yard and have another game contest in the feed yard as well as a carcass contest. Uh, so it kind of goes most of the year, ends in late January, February, and starts again. And that midpoint there when they come off of grass and, and weigh those and judge those, that's they do that in Poirier Livestock, correct, still? Yes, yep, do that there at Selborn here in town. And uh, and they do that the same weekend as they have this big celebration that they call Flint Hills Beef Fest and you name that, it, speakers and banquet and used to have a ranch rodeo, I guess trade show, all kinds yep, of things. Yep, still have the ranch rodeo. And, okay, uh, yep the dance and all and it's it's usually a pretty good time in august yep yep well it's it's a neat deal and a and a concept that i don't know that i've seen anywhere else and of course emporia is pretty well positioned to to kind of have it all done there within a few hundred miles and of course cattle where are they fed now uh we rotate emporia? around every year this year they went to sellers at lions that's okay. where they went to uh and you might i might say you know you talk about nothing else around press white was a vet oh, shoot i don't know when he was here but he's one of the ones that was kind of key in getting it started and he was spent some time in western kansas and with the beef empire days so that's kind of what i mean it's different but it's kind of what it was modeled after i guess or not modeled right. but where, where the idea come from obviously but um just taking it and kind of running in our own direction with it back here so. well that's a neat deal so you also had some cattle in Beef Empire days, which you just mentioned, um, Southwest Kansas, Garden City area. Uh, tell us how those did, and and then also, I guess, give us a rundown of Beef Empire days as well. Uh, you're going to put me on a little spot a little bit because I've never been to it. Um, okay. I know it's kind of a similar deal. You enter, you know, they got to be fed at one of them feed yard, feed yard, and the feed yard enters them and. Uh, we had a steer and it's just an individual and there's no weight or anything like that. So I think it's just a live show and a carcass contest. So there's no performance type contest with it. Uh, but we had a steer that would have been home raised that was fed at Kinsley feeders. And, uh, I think did all right in the live show and I can't remember where it did in the carcass, but it did all did. Okay. Yeah. It seemed like as a composite, it was up in the top yeah, five or top so. five. That's what I was going to say. I can and, and that one, like you said, they were they're Beef Fest there in Emporia was kind of modeled after Beef Empire Days. Um, I think the biggest difference is the Beef Empire Days judging and the big event is at the back end of the feeding feed yard period. And so those yeah. cattle individually come past a crowd and they get to put their own placing on it. A, a judge puts placing on it and those cattle then go on to the feed yard and I, I'm sorry, on to the packing plant and um are are of course graded and yield out and run through a formula to see who wins that carcass contest too but yep. uh you know just it's i chuckled about being the show jock but um it's a cattle show but it's a totally different type of cattle show than we would have with haltered animals and things like that and a little more real world scenario so that's pretty you cool that, that you've got cattle that are that are doing well in both of those and um and like i said 
raised right there off the ranch and then sent on and and we've got several customers and lots of folks in the area that uh that continue to do very well at those at both of those events but especially beef fest so and the competition part of it's you know that's you know part of it but it is kind of nice just kind of so you got an idea you know if you need to improve or where you're at kind of compare not to you need to compare yourself to other people but you know if you where you're at in the rest of the world with what you're doing with your stuff. So, well, whether we like it or not, we do it every day. And I yeah. think that, um, you know, that competition's a good thing. And like I said, when it's done in a real world type of fashion that, um, shows you some industry trends, like what you mentioned, we've talked about it the last several episodes on this podcast, but cattle are getting bigger. I mean, we continue to make these things, um, more efficient in their growth pattern. And, and quite often that efficiency is, is more total volume too, and, um, more total pounds. So whether that's good or bad for the industry, we can, we can, uh, argue and cuss and discuss, but the fact of the matter is until someone tells us differently, when we go to sell those cattle, whether it be at or shortly after weaning yearling or through the feed yard to the packing plant, until someone discounts us for making them bigger, um, we're probably going to just keep on making them bigger. That's right. Yeah. And I guess I'm back just a real quick, aside i guess uh i've been on the beef fest board for 16 17 years and uh i can remember the last cattle we weighed out of the feed yard at ward feeders or feed yard we ran through the alley you know used to always just weigh them on their suit scales that was the last right. year we did that because we had to oil two or three uh. of them up to get them all the way through and uh started it's been on truck scales one at a time after that which doesn't work as bad as it sounds it actually works pretty dang good uh, we kind of figured out how to make that work with a few panels and a gate and electronic reader but uh yeah so that's just kind of what you're saying is they've gotten nothing but bigger and it's just, just a pretty good gauge right there of yeah, that's that's one logistics challenge that I hadn't even considered. That uh, you don't put a fourteen to sixteen hundred pound fat steer on on just any old shoot scale. And no, uh, yep, yep. That's uh, that's part of the industry. Uh, you bet. Whether we like it or not, and we get to address and figure out uh, how we how we respond to that. So we talked a little bit about genetics um, as you go to buying bulls for your cow herd and we can talk i guess first let's back up um and and give us give us a feel for the different segments of the beef industry that you and your family are involved in there at art farms okay um so we ranch here lion chase greenwood counties um run cow calves on it we have fall and spring cabin herds uh graze yearlings on it Similar the feed yards out west that we've got some interest in. Always background in calves here and the feed yard here at home, farm and hay, you know, grow some of our own feed, not all of it. Uh, grow quite a bit of hay, but not all of it ourselves here. So a little bit of everything. Um, hire about all the farming out. And I guess that's it. I'm kind of handle a lot of the cow calf management and breeding decisions and replacements and the background yard here there and grazing the cattle here and kind of taking care of all them so then as you as you handle that cow calf side of things and and like you said the genetics um when it's time to buy bulls describe to me today um what the perfect bull for you would be 
and I guess what traits and everything else that you kind of prioritize as you go and make those selection decisions? Uh, well, we're, we're keeping heifers, feeding them out, and usually selling them on a grid, or I shouldn't say usually, always selling them on a grid. It uh, it takes a pretty balanced bull. And it, I figured out the first few times I went to buy bulls, I was looking at the same bulls that people like you were a lot of times. Right. And so I kind of had to take a back seat to that. But I like, you know, if it's going to go on a heifer, I dang sure want a low birth weight, uh, some growth to it, some fertility, a moderate size frame, uh, good carcass characteristics, what I look at, kind of a balance of it. And then I like to usually buy them around sale average or a little less if I can. So it, you can't always find them that way. But Well, it's like I tell folks, every time you either add a another trait or get higher up into that trait level, um, that's going to add dollars. And so that's you right. try, to, try to figure out what you need to have and um, let the other ones float quite often in that that allows you to make sure that you make the most economic difference within your own herd and your marketing scenario without having to buy a bunch of traits or pay for a bull that's got a bunch of traits that you may not necessarily get paid for on the back end. That's right. And I, it took me a while to realize it or figure it out. But you, that better bull you buy, uh, you're not just looking at its calves. You're looking that you start multiplying them across several generations. And that's where that I think really helps or, you know, where you get that benefit out of that better bull that you go ahead and spend a little extra money for. So in that regard, when did you, let's see, you came back home, graduated from college in what year? 2002. Okay. And how are things different today with the cow herd there compared to what they were then, Ryan? Um, well, basically, we started buying cows when I was in college. Didn't really ever run much of a cow herd. The drought was going on in the southwest and west. and Started buying just odd and end cows then. And we were feeding, at that time, still finishing cattle here at home because Tyson was processing. So we could go in and collect, which we still get it now, but don't do it ourselves. Get the ear tag data and get the individual carcass data. And I've got carcass data all the way back to then that we've been able to use to keep heifers back or culling to see. Maybe not so much culling because we just kind of just don't keep heifers back out of them. But um, the only thing we cull is if they're open or don't raise a calf. So, but that's I've got three or four generations deep of individual carcass data that's helped make a lot. So the cow herd has changed from a wide size and frame and color and temperament and to uh, a whole lot better you know I, I think they were a better more even kind of set of cows well i know i get to see the heifers every year and in, in april there as as we're aiing and and um just the last whatever that's been seven or eight years that we've been doing that um it's pretty impressive what just two to three generations of uh of you know not super disciplined seed stock selection, but pick the four or five traits that, uh, that are the most impactful and find bulls that are in your budget. And, um, it has, I mean, it has, it has totally changed those heifers and how they look and how they act and, and, uh, produce, I'm sure 
as well. And it's just, it's pretty cool to see what you can do with, with just a little bit of attention paid to, to genetic selection. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of, we're shooting off track here. Speaking of AI and are the, going back to Glenn's episode, you were talking about those scales they bought. And I can remember that trip to Topeka when Mike went over to, to look at those scales <laughs> and I felt like I was bushwhacked on the way home because it, you, you turn around, you go, have you ever thought about AI and cattle? And uh, that's boy. After that, I I almost wonder if you regret giving me that decision, <laughs> giving me that talk sometimes. But now, see, I, I rem- it was that trip when uh, I rode up there with you and Mike to Topeka, and yep. he went off over there, and I, we weren't sure that's where he went for sure, but that's where he claimed yeah, he went. You you had a different story, but then when he actually <laughs> bought the scales, I I think I believe Mike. I, yeah, I never really questioned. It, it was just like like see him. On edge, squirm a little bit yeah, that's right well and i remember the conversation as well um but i'm gonna i'm gonna give credit to mike because i think it was collins that um that asked you if you'd ever thought about ai and and then maybe either volunteered me or or i at a weak moment but oh it's it's good it's it's worked out well for everybody and uh no, it, it is fun to see the, the difference that can be made, not just through AI, but even, you know, picking bulls that, that back that AI program up well and, and uh, make it where you can keep heifers from all through that group, I guess. Yep. So touching back, you know, your family has a pretty diverse swath in the beef industry. I mean, you're, you're growing a cow herd, you're keeping back your own replacement females, your AI in those springs and turn out good bulls with, with both spring and fall herds. Um, in addition, you're taking outside yearling cattle in sometimes developing some heifers for breeding. Most of the time, probably just grass, uh, grazing those, uh, those steers and heifers to go then onto the feed yard. And then you've also partnered with some other, uh, people and, and bought several feed yards, uh, partnered on several feed yards in Western Kansas. So you see not only all parts of the industry in all aspects, which I think is invaluable, but you're also challenged with trying to keep all those balls in the air and make sure that from a business standpoint, it, it, it makes sense and you can, you can kind of keep watch over it. Can you share, and we don't need to get too deep into your family's business, but can you share some things that you all have learned and some, maybe a business structure standpoint that, that helps you effectively manage and own and make sure that you keep the people doing what they do the best and what they're interested in, in terms of family and employees and maybe, keep from getting involved in areas that uh, that maybe they don't have as much interest or expertise in how's how do you structure that uh you know i don't know that it's ever really sat down and drew up a plan for it it's just kind of i guess worked out i like being out here um i always thought if you're going to be a cowboy you got to have cattle so that's that's i guess why i enjoy it but uh i enjoy the work part of it and horses and the ranching and being outside and Oh, you know, Luke came back after he, after college, he did some other things for a little bit. He came and him and Steve in the office in there and handled some of that stuff. Dad and I are out here. I mean, we all have our different roles and kind of overlap occasionally on different stuff. But I was joking one time, I, we were going to a rodeo in Western Kansas, stopped in Greensburg to 
eat lunch and I was walking across the street and Steve pulled up stoplight. That was the first time I'd seen him in several weeks, but it was in Greensburg, Kansas. So, but that, that's just kind of the way it, it operates sometimes. Uh, and like I said, we all got a role and that's just where we all fit. I think one time you told me that your uncle Steve was the sale and your dad was sometimes the anchor. I'd, yeah. I'd, it's, I'd, and I would have to agree with that. Somebody else told me that one time and I may have just regurgitated, but I'd say after observing for 40 years, it's exactly right. And they both know when one needs to dig in and or let yield to the other. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's the biggest part. I mean, uh, we all have our different perspectives, but, um, that difference and that variation variability in in a team approach is is really pretty valuable as long right. as you respect and recognize okay this person's always going to be wanting to go and this person quite often is going to be wanting to woe and there's sometimes that either both of them are are wrong or or they at least need to give a little bit uh, yeah so so that that's good yeah and, and it's i think like i said it's worked out they've and it's funny, I can, like I said, after watching the two of them for 35 plus years, you know, I'm 42, but my, as long as I can remember watching those two interact with each other and how they go about things, it's kind of just second nature because I can tell what the other's thinking or what what's really going on in their mind about half time. So. Well, it's not always the prettiest. I mean, these family family businesses regardless if it's in agriculture or outside most of the time most of the ones that i see are within ag but it's kind of like making sausage it, when you get all done you're glad that you've got it but um having to see the process can sometimes be, be a little ugly and, and that's okay that's it's, it's the end result and, and as long as we don't let the family or don't let the business completely steamroll over the family part of it and, and uh, but it can be be pretty healthy i'd say yeah so what led you all to decide to add the feed yard side into your business and and invest in some of those feed yards oh i guess the opportunity just kind of presented so not like the very first one was really out looking there's a friend guy we did business with was already in one and offered the opportunity and that was about the time Tyson quit processing here and we were finishing cattle here at home. Uh, so the timing kind of worked out there and then just one thing led to another, I guess one popped up here and there. Never like really set out. It just kind of one door open and opens another. And, but you were willing to you or Steve and Mike or whomever were willing to at least consider it and, and yeah. adapt as, as uh the environment changed around you because that was a big change for a lot of a lot of folks that fed cattle around Emporia, Kansas, and could take them there to IBP and then Tyson. Uh, when that when that plant closed, um, you know it it changed things for a lot of folks, and a lot of people had to make some significant changes because of it. Yes. So you referenced yourself as a, a cowboy needing to have cows. Um, give us a typical. I know there's no such thing as a typical day, but when you go to take care of cattle, um, yearlings, cows, what are you on? What are you in? What are you doing? Um, have you got a horse behind you or a four wheeler behind you today? Uh, well, I've got a four wheeler behind me today, but I'm just you, running. You say, you say that with such, with I such do. embarrassment. I do. It's like, I remember <laughs> you a fella tell, 
an old man that we used to do some business with said, I'd rather be caught in a dress than caught on a four-wheeler. And, I, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure it's changed as he's gotten even older, but I always think about that. But uh, I'll, I'm just running around tagging calves, checking cows right now, and Oh, I could do it horseback, but I wouldn't get near as much ground covered. But other than that, we pretty well, I mean, when we go to ride pastures and move cattle or doctor, um, we're horseback. People that help us and work for us all like to use horses. Um, that's still the way we go about it. Yeah. And there's, it's just like anything else. There's a tool that works the best for every job. And generally, I think that's what we try to do. I'm, I'm a little like you in that. If everything else is equal, I'd rather be on a horse. Um, but there's some times where from an efficiency standpoint, it just, it, it makes sense to throw the four wheeler on and, and tagging calves is definitely, I tried it one season. Of course I have to lug a scale around and we tattoo them at birth and, and we have to do more than just sticking a tag in the air. And I tried to do that for one season on a horse and good gosh, it was way too much work getting up and down 12 15 times every morning and yeah. trying to make a saddle bag that held everything without busting i broke a couple scales just just from the long trot you don't realize how much how hard that is on equipment or probably people but yeah now i'm i'm a four-wheeler tagger for sure yeah well if i was going to try and cover as much country on a horse this afternoon as i did on a four-wheeler all i'd have right. is a hot horse when i was done uh yeah, he'd probably be broke and tired, but he may just be hot, and, you know, yeah, on the borderline below. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's really the application or be that good for him in the end as far as far as we need to get in an afternoon. So, yep. Do you raise your own horses? Or are you buying all those? Um, we do raise several. Buy the rest of them kind of as colts. Um, I got a mare that I actually bought that fellow I was talking about. Said you'd rather be cut wore a dress and on a four <laughs> several years ago and we raced several several colts out of her um through ts ranch over there west bailey and rochelle and yep. the family uh yep breed her to some of their studs over the years and then another fellow jerry kinsey lives south of us said i bought several of his colts over the years so that's where a big chunk of them come from and your kids are pretty involved in the horse side of things with rodeo and everything else as well aren't they Yep, they all enjoy it. Uh, stay pretty busy hauling them around. The oldest one's got in and cutting in the cow horse, rain cow horse discipline. So that's a whole other world. But it's it's fun and fun to watch her enjoy it. And it's you know it's probably as close to anything we do as there is in the real world. You know, out here as there is really outside of you know maybe roping, but uh, the cow work and that they do it's. It's pretty fun. Well, I always told people when she gets down in the arena, her or that horse can hardly breathe, and they've been out there for three minutes. So I can see why she enjoys that and just going and, you know, roping a calf or tying a goat or running. I mean, she's still into that team ropes and barrel races and whatnot, but, uh, boy, she's ate up with that stuff. So, And is she still able to use some of your ranch horses for that? Or are you uh, having to, have you no. graduated up to buying the, uh, yeah, the specialized we were, horses? You know, we – when she kind of got into it, I had an old horse that I, you know, got as a colt from Jerry and I ran through it all them years on it and roped, they roped calves on it. And I showed him a little bit in some ranch horse shows. So, you know, that's, that's it. That's what you're going to use here. 
was that so that's what it was and she cut on him and cow horsed and i mean got along but he wasn't we didn't go to nash she qualified for nationals just because there's not that many people in kansas that do it but uh we didn't go the first year because we wouldn't wouldn't have been really too competitive but i and i so i told her after that take your pick of horses here and we'll just kind of start out and make our own well I'm not sure she picked the right one. And B, there's a whole lot more to it than that, as I found out. So, yes, we bit the bullet and bought one. And I'd say that was probably a whole lot better investment than trying. It'll teach her more how one of those ought to ride and operate than I ever could in three lifetimes, probably. So, again, it goes back to that genetics. I mean, there's, you know, yeah, they're all quarter horses, but it's amazing how much difference there is in their ability forget the training yeah or bad their ability to do a certain thing or two and do it well uh so yeah we i i i never got past the hey they're a versatile ranch horse already they ought to be able to do anything you're going to throw at them Uh, i never got past that so you're you're a lot better dad than i well (laughs) my kids will be listening to this going see dad we told you yeah so that horse she shows and the cow horse is about the only one that doesn't really earn his keep or earn a living around here anymore the rest of them all go to the rodeo or drag calves or ship cattle or ride pastures they all still got a job when the girls are around well if she keeps winning maybe he'll earn way more living than the rest of them do just (laughs) just in a different fashion well, I don't know if that's possible, probably, but uh, we can. It's worth a shot, I guess. That's so. right. That's right. Once you, if you're going to compete, go big. That's right. So, dragon calves, you mentioned, um, and this is more, I guess, on the horse versus four wheeler or rope versus shoot. Um, how do you work those young calves, and why do you do it the way you do it? You know, we've started dragging them, or you know, roping them. I don't know, several years, 20 some years ago, maybe. I was think I was in college and we decided with it when we kind of started getting them cows. You never, I doubt anybody that puts them through a cradle has people calling asking when you're going to work calves, would be my guess. <laughs> and funny? sometimes I feel, feel bad. We've got enough people, we're tripping over everybody just because that many people want to come. But at the same time, if you got the right help, it isn't near as much work as pushing them through a cradle. You're getting stepped on and kicked all day. and wallering that thing around so oh it might seem like it's more work at the time or more people but i think with the right crew and everybody's having fun i guess that it's nice to have those days too so that's we do them that away and wait till the kids get out of school in the spring ones and try and get like thanksgiving break or sometime on these fall ones get them done yeah it's been the same way here i mean growing up we hardly it's interesting the rest of the world i think uses horses less today the ranching world than they did 50 years ago and for whatever reason dale banks uses them way more than we did when i was a kid um, the only time we put a saddle on a horse was when we were going to work cows and they knew it because they'd see a horse and absolutely dead run to the back side of the pasture and it was a race and just a fight and now when you they see a horse several times a year and nothing ever bad happens to them um now they just barely even look up from eating grass and it's the same way we started dragging calves it wouldn't have been quite 20 it'd been 15 years ago uh shortly after i moved back here and man those first few times it was it was way less efficient 
than pushing them through the chute. Uh, whether we enjoyed it more or not, there wasn't any arguing the fact that we were slower. Uh, today, I think, you know, you get the right crew and it doesn't have to be a big crew, but you get the right folks and, and we can get them work just about as fast, if not faster. And I think easier for sure, easier on the people and sure. No tougher on the calves. Yeah. I mean, they're handled one time. Yep. They get there. It's not the shove down through there. And I mean, pull with cows peel off just go to catching them and uh, you know they're done before they know it so yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty slick and and again it, it's tough to do it with three guys um yes we we have we have done some small groups that way and and you work your tail off but uh um you do have to have a few more people which is not always easy but you're right it's a whole lot easier to get people to come drag calves than it is to to do just about any other task you can think of on the farmer ranch yep and I've seen I've seen some research data that has shown that you know cortisol levels, stress levels on the calves, are no are sure no different. And if it's done with the right crew, are actually lower when you uh, when you're open and catch those calves than they are necessarily really? when you're shoving them through a chute. I I saw that, and it's fairly old data. And they even tried to get detailed enough to where they were comparing whether you sort calves and cows first and then drag the calves from one pen as opposed to dragging them right out of the herd um, and showed that the sorting was about as stressful, especially if they were apart for more than a few minutes than the actual processing it, uh, processing those calves themselves. So um, anyways, hmm. it was interesting. And of course you've got a lot of statistical noise there. I mean, who was, who was working them, um, right. whether it be through the chute or dragging them, we've all been to a place um, and, maybe even can say ourselves that uh some days it doesn't matter what you're doing you, you got the wrong wrong guys you got the wrong weather wrong facilities and uh, anything can be stressful if you don't do it right so, some days are just bad days yep yep no doubt so is life at aren't farms any different today than it was when you were a kid yeah you know it's a whole lot different than when i was a kid I remember feeding with a Kelly Ryan feed wagon and a 66 Oliver. And then when we, dad got that cab 105, he thought he was just, you know, king of the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Still had to, to scoop the, the protein supplement out of the window of the old horse barn into it as it was sitting outside. But that's so uh, things have changed quite a little bit as they have for everybody, I'm sure. Just technology and size and. You know, that there's less and less people out here. You know, I remember when I was a kid, we had lots of neighbors. We traded work back and forth with. A lot of them aren't around. And I'm not just saying cowboy work. We'd get together and chop silage. And, you know, somebody had a chopper. A couple guys had a chopper. And everybody had trucks. Just went around and did it till it was gone. Well, now we hire it done. Just grandma would have a, a lunch in the kitchen ready for everybody when they came in. And I don't, that don't happen very often anymore. It's just, everything's different. So is it different in a good way or I, it doesn't really matter? Cause I don't think we're going, going back. No. Oh, I guess it's good. You know, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just different. I guess we're all surviving, still enjoying doing it. There is just nostalgia. I guess some of those things I remember as a kid and probably no different than people that were my age or older when I was a kid talking about the way when they were a kid. Yep. But I uh, just remember some of the old timers around there 
just the way things happen around here that don't, don't go that way anymore. How, how will your kids or Luke's kids tell us that it's different here in 20 years? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I'd hate to even speculate on that, whether there's, you know, more use of drones or stuff like that. I don't know how much more technology can change what we do day to day, taking care of cattle and be effective. But, you know, I think about, you know, I had an ultrasound machine I was preg checking heifers with this morning. Who would have thought we'd had that around 25 years ago, you know, at our disposal and iPads and iPhones and the. I can remember the first time we were riding across pasture, somebody joked about they got their phone in their saddlebags, and we all laughed because that was 35 years ago when everybody's got them in their pocket. So, <laughs> uh, it was just kind of a joke then, but hell, we can check the markets and send emails, and I do it all, all the time riding across just because it's – I couldn't imagine not having one now and trying to do do business and work at the same time, even though they're both are the same. So that brings up my, a question that I every once in a while ask myself, and I'll ask you here. If there was one tool that you had to keep or that you got to keep um, around you and you had to dispense with everything else, in 2022, what would the tool that you keep be? Oh, wow. Is it the phone or is it the horse or is it the ultrasound machine? That's a good question. Anything else? If I had a phone, I could call somebody and they could bring me what I wanted. (laughs) That's cheating. (laughs) Okay. Well, Uh, Uh, you're you're uh, right. You're right. uh, Because you know, I guess if I had a horse, I could ride in town and get it. Is that that's all you got for the rest of your life, or that's all you have to start with? Uh, See, there you are again, negotiating. Always, always (laughs) having to negotiate. Uh, well, could, I wouldn't even want to have to think about that, Matt. Different days is going to require a different one, but you're right. That's I mean, exactly right. I, I don't think we would have ever dreamt, and your comment about well, how much more technology can we have and, and still be us out here punching cows, but um, that phone, it's it's amazing what we use the dang thing for. Yeah. Um, it's no longer just a communication tool. Of course, I heard a uh, retired SEAL say this is, this is a, a tracking device that happens to make phone calls. Um, so there's some scary sides to it as well, but yeah, I mean, what, what don't we use that thing for on a, on a minute by minute and hourly basis, um, uh, all day, every day. And you know, the horse, you know, we use for a half day and then go on the pickup we use to get from point A to point B and the trailer, you know, you, you can go down the list of technologies that are pretty handy, but it's scary just how, how impactful if we lost that phone um we'd we'd have to change a lot of a lot of things the way that yes, we for sure. access information and do business and everything else have to come back to the house i mean that's the thing i can of course i still fill the time up but you know before having that mobile phone especially before having access to the internet i'd be on the computer and the phone all, all evening long trying to catch up and respond to emails and call customers and things that now I do as a second task while I'm feeding for tagging calves or freeze branding bulls or whatever else. And so you can multitask and that's where the thing has become such a, 
a time saver or maybe a drag on my on my focus uh some some <laughs> of the guys that i work line. with yeah um but uh but yeah I, that it's almost indispensable which is kind of scary well just think if you had to stop and use a payphone every time you need to make a phone call oh man now. or that was the way somebody got a hold of you you'd call check in or you know yep. whatever um it's just it was a whole different world i just the other day i was trying to explain where a gate was in a pasture to a kid and i we pulled up google earth and zoomed in and you know pointed out that that's where the one i'm talking about is and you know otherwise it had been kind of you know trying to describe it but what i was describing and what he was picturing may have not been the same and Especially when you got to the point of uh, go where the schoolhouse used to be. That, yeah. And then that tree that got blown over in the tornado where it used to be. Yeah. 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 We're we're great at those descriptions. There's, uh, or, you know, you can get on there and measure. You can measure things down to the foot. Oh, yeah. Whether it's a fence or a pin. I mean, it's just unreal. I could get on there and go see how measure your pins at your place if I wanted to. And see that uh, they aren't as straight as I thought they were when we were laying them out 20 years ago. Well, that could be. I remember when we were building some fence, my grandpa, we were eyeballing it. He finally says, well, if anybody's looking at it that hard, we'll whack him in the back of the head while they're, while they're looking at it. <laughs> well, pretty, good, pretty good philosophy. If somebody's looking at it that hard, they don't need to be. So. Yeah. How little we knew then. Yeah. Well, any other words of wisdom for podcast land this afternoon ryan uh boy not words of wisdom you come to the wrong place i'd say for that just download and listen twice as much as glenn's episode is all i can say there you go see you just cracked the code that there's like six different platforms where they can get this actually i don't think they let you game the system that way i think if you download it twice on spotify and apple podcasts they just count you once You'll have oh, to use okay. a second phone or use a second computer. You'll figure it out. I guarantee <laughs> after you've bought your, your ads that you're going to try to bolster this get, up. Yeah. I don't think I'll put that much effort into it. <laughs> this will be the first time that you two uh, have let a competition go, go that, uh, that easily. Well, probably so. Oh, usually we're competing together, not against each other. That's true. You didn't get that. That's what we missed this time that uh, we tried to start when we blew the thing up. Uh, You didn't get to tell any ranch rodeo stories about the old Arnt Collins team. Oh, boy, there'd be lots of them. Uh, Lots of them. Uh, I'll tell you one I can remember pretty well. I can't remember it, but Glenn's a way better storyteller than I am. And I can't tell you where we were at. Uh, but you know how we'd always just four or five of us get in a hotel room and split it up and him and I were in the same bed one night and he said I I reached over and I thought man Rachel's chest has gotten hairy <laughs> and uh, he said he finally felt around and he said all I did was wake up and said stop being weird and went back to sleep and he said I he, he laid there the rest of the night couldn't go back to sleep because he was weirded out I didn't know about it till the next morning but <laughs> Uh, yeah we finally outgrew uh sharing hotel rooms uh several years ago but well, yeah, there was see. lots of them i asked there you was how... one other time he uh i don't know who all was in the room several of us and evidently we were all snoring pretty bad because he finally grabbed a comforter and went to the the bathtub and slept in the bathtub <laughs> just so he could get some sleep that night <laughs> that'd have to be pretty bad 
Anyway, he said, thought that one kid was dying, Duncan, I think. He, and then he just quit breathing and start back up. But he said, one of us would stop and the other one would start. And it just kept going around the room. <laughs> just like the crickets. Yeah. Yeah, just like Only the Only a little, That's a little louder. Yeah. Oh, no, but we had fun, a lot of fun those back in them days. Just Hell, like we always said, half the fun was getting there. So Are you, we, are you going to any anymore? You know, we went to the Lyon County Fair. Josh and Wes and Glenn and I did first of the month, but we're all busy enough anymore that it's my daughter would like for me to start going again, but I keep telling them they'll have to pick something they're not going to for me to go. So. Yeah. 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 There's only so much time and patience and money and maybe athletic yeah. ability. That too. Yeah. I, yeah. There's a little too much birthday cake. Glenn <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing some uh some wisdom with us and a few good stories and um we always appreciate the business and always appreciate the friendship and it's good to have good to have good neighbors in the country so you bet well thanks for inviting me on enjoy yep yep good luck uh tagging calves the rest of the day and take care all right thanks sir thanks for joining us for practically ranching brought to you by dale banks angus If you enjoyed the podcast, heck, even if you didn't, help us improve by leaving a comment with your review wherever you heard us. And if you want to listen again, click subscribe and catch us next week. God bless, and we look forward to visiting again soon.